I have a great responsibility because I want my players, I want my GAs, I want anybody who sees me, who look, feels like they look like me, who can connect with me. Um, I want them to have a chance um, and an easier road than, than maybe what I had. Um, that, that's really important to me. Um, I also think my mother put me in situations as a kid to be prepared for life like this. So, you know, I was the only black girl in my dance class. And so you have to learn how to operate in that world because in college athletics, the majority of the people who are uh, ADs, who are in that top upper level administration, um, they don't look like me. I want to create something that I wish my younger self could have had when I first entered the profession, which is a platform to serve and impact the next generation of coaches. Young coaches, young professionals, young leaders, they need to see black faces and they need to um, know their story. Personal lives are generally publicized within our profession. So our platform will be very unique because our guests will all share their powerful stories to help our listeners unlock their potential greatness. Guys, this interview we have here for you, we got Rika Patterson. This is somebody who um, is super important to me and um, she will be for the rest of my career. She hired me as a graduate assistant at Southeast Missouri State. She is the head coach at Southeast Missouri State OBC Champions 2020. Um, and what we took away from this, this episode and this interview was um, one, the importance of mentorship. Her mom played a huge role um, in her life and, and kind of, you know, being that role model for. Um, another thing we took away was the importance of being prepared. Got to be prepared and get comfortable in your own skin and, and being comfortable being, being the only. Um, one of the reasons why this platform exists is that we want to help people be comfortable in their Black excellence. And she really talked about that. And she really talked about how she prepared for that. And, you know, even the things that she went through as a child, just just preparing for that and also being vulnerable as a head coach. Um, first year head coach to fifth year head coach, you know, she had to learn a few things about being vulnerable and, you know, knowing to put her players first and things like that. So, um, you know, those are things that we, we talked about and it's, it's going to be really good for you guys to listen to. Yeah, Isha, I'm, I'm excited about this one um, because, again, we both have, you know, a great familiarity with, with Rika. Um, obviously, you having the opportunity to work for and then obviously me being me being at CMO as well and working alongside of her as, as co-workers. And so, um, you know, the thing that I can attest to is is the power of mentorship. You know, when Rika first got the job, you know, I remember seeing her mom around our offices and, and obviously seeing her mama hanging around on, you know, on game days. Um, and, and I know her mom played a key role in her growth, not only, you know, as a head coach, but as a young woman. Um, and so that's something that she really highlighted you know, within the podcast. And, I, and I've obviously, I enjoy hearing that, you know, and then another thing that, that I love about Rika, man, is, you know, Rika's not afraid of, of, you know, highlighting being a black woman. You know what I mean? Like uh, the funny thing about it in my story was uh, when I first, obviously when I first started getting to know her, you know, as a black woman, man, you, we going to highlight our hair, Right. And, and she was someone that that showcased her hairstyles every every other day. She had a different hairstyle every other day. And it was uh it was awesome. 
You know what I mean? Because again, she talks about, you know, in the podcast or in the recording, she talks about being the only. And Rika understood that and she know that and she know there were going to be a lot of times where she's going to walk into a room and she's going to be the only black woman, but she wasn't afraid to 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 stand in, you know, stand in her own ten toes and saying, look, I love who I am. You know, I, I love where I come from. I love what I embody. Um, and this is who I am. Um, and I think that makes her unique. Um, but again, I think that helps us as, as young men and women to understand that, man, we have a place. You know what I mean? And we have a special place. And I think she showed that, you know, over the five years of being a head coach at SEMO, you know, being a taking over a program that didn't have a whole lot of success at the time when she got into it to, to being OVC champs, you know, within her you know, first five years. And so uh, I'm excited, you know, for you guys to hear this recording on Rika. I enjoyed it. I know we both did, you know, as we were recording and interviewing her. And so I look forward to you guys getting the, the nuggets and the gems and the, the insights that she's going to drop. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, get your pen out, get your notebook, um, get ready to, to learn some good stuff. The gems is coming. Here's our interview with Rika Patterson. We are back. We are here with the one and only Rika Patterson, head coach of SEMO Women's Basketball 2020 OBC Champs 2020 Coach of the Year. Welcome to the show, Coach. We appreciate you being here with us. Well, thank you. Uh, I am honored and privileged to be here on your show. So thank you, guys. Absolutely. This is the Black Excellence in Sports podcast where we, we highlight those who we deem excellent. We want to use your story, your voice, your testimony to unlock the greatness of others. Uh, we got a question for you, Coach. How do you define Black excellence? What do you think about when you hear that, that phrase? Well, I think it's um, obviously anyone who's Black who can uh, move with confidence, who uh, can deal with the hand, the card that's, that they're dealt and make the most out of it in a graceful way. Um, I think it's someone who can help others. Um, and I think it's someone who makes sure that they bring others with them. Now, Coach, you speak about that someone. Do you have a specific someone that you can say that you would deem is the definition of Black excellence? Oh, I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot of someones out there, um, for sure, for sure. I think, you know, with, when you look at women's basketball, you, you talk about Vivian Stringer, right? That is someone that we all aspire to be to. We can't imagine, as a Black head coach, you can't imagine the things that she had to go through when she first started out. And, and to see her still having success now, that, that's Black excellence. I think if you look at Dawn Staley, obviously she is a current name um, that many people are aware of that is Black excellence, but um, there's a lot of it in many different areas of life. Do you have anybody personally that you can attest to that and say, when you look at that individual, that's Black excellence? Oh yeah, my mom. <laughs> that that started at home. I mean, uh, I, uh, I don't know if people know, but my mother uh, has a high school court named after her where she coached for over 20 some years, won over 500 games. Yeah, it's the Eva Patterson Heath Court at Red Springs High School. Uh, she also coached at Division II Fayetteville State University. And in her first year, she took that team to the NCAA tournament. Um, but those are wonderful things. But I think the biggest thing that I felt like talking about opening the door for others, helping others, I am from the poorest county in the state of North Carolina. And she was able to open doors for young women and young women a lot of black women in this community to 
play basketball in high school and then to go on to college, even if they didn't play basketball, but she just opened up their eyes to the possibility of life outside of our small town. I think that is the epitome of black excellence. What's the biggest thing you learned from your mom once you began your coaching career? I think, you know, try to be a good person first um, and then surround yourself with good people. That part is really important. Remember your why, remember your reason and stay focused on that. And obviously when you're coaching, it is about the people that you're around. It's about your players, seeing them become their best self, helping them um, recognize the excellence within them themselves. So um, those are some things that uh, I really took from her. Now I played for her and I, I can promise you there were many times that I did not feel like she was excellent. <laughs> she used to be tough, man. Like, Ooh, tough, but we had to be, we had to be prepared for anything that we were going to face when it came to basketball and then in life. Did you have no option to be a coach? Oh, it was not, she didn't, she didn't make me go into it. Um, you know, I actually started out as a cheerleader. I was uh, the little mascot, you know, the little girl who knows all the cheers and stuff as like a five-year-old. Um, that, that was what I did. I come from a basketball family. Uh, my aunt, uh, one of my aunts, I should say, she was part of the first group of young women to play basketball at Barber Scotia College in North Carolina. Uh, I have an uncle and another aunt who also played in college. Uh, my mom is in the Hall of Fame um, in college. My stepdad who raised me, he was a basketball and football coach, and he's also in the Hall of Fame for football um, at Fayetteville State. My mom went to North Carolina A&T. Um, so I've been around the game my whole life. Uh, I hope I'm pretty good at it because that's sort of kind of all I know. <laughs> but no, they did not force that on me. They didn't. Yeah, coach, it sounds like you don't have a choice <laughs> but to be but to be excellent. Um, I, I'll say this um, for for our audience. I'll let you guys know that um, Coach P was my first boss when I was a graduate assistant. And, um, you know, I, I felt like she was um, – intentional about making sure that I was prepared for what was next and um you know I would say I I feel like I have a, a leg up you know just understanding what what does it mean what it means to be excellent what it means to be prepared um from working for her so uh, she definitely demonstrates that every day um and what she brings to work um so you know I'll transition to the next question um what what separates you as a black woman um you know, when, when, what makes you prideful of being a black woman when it comes to your work? Well, I recognize that I have a responsibility. So if I do well, and Ish, you want to go into coaching, you want to be a head coach. If I do well, then that's going to give you and those that are younger than you the opportunity to do that. If I don't do well, unfortunately, that may make it a little bit tougher for you. And so um, I have a great responsibility because I want my players, I want my GAs, I want anybody who sees me, who look, feels like they look like me, who can connect with me. Um, I want them to have a chance um, and an easier road than, than maybe what I had. Um, that, that's really important to me. Um, I also think my mother put me in situations as a kid to be prepared for life like this. So, you know, I was the only black girl in my dance class. And so you have to learn how to operate in that world because in college athletics, the majority of the people who are uh, 
ADs who are in that top upper level administration, um, they don't look like me. And so I can't be uncomfortable in a room like that. Even going back to growing up in a small town church. Well, if you're in a small town church as a kid, you have to sing on the choir, even if you can't sing. You got to be on the junior usher board. You have to be up there, be able to stand in front of everybody and welcome um, visitors, right? You got to stand up and be able to speak to, to welcome the visitors in the church. You got to learn your Easter speeches and your Christmas speeches, and you got to learn them by heart. So the ability to get in front of people um, and be comfortable doing that, which I think is really important as a black female, um, you have to be able to do that. And, and I was able to learn that as, an, um, as a kid. And then even being one of a few girls that played Little League Baseball, like a lot of that helped me be prepared to be in rooms where I'm the only one or one of a few and make me comfortable in that. Then I think being in a house full of educators and then going to North Carolina A&T and understanding that I've got to work twice as hard and I've got to make sure um, everything is as perfect as possible to have a chance. Um, I, I think those are all the, all the things that I've had to do or I've experienced to help prepare me to be my best self. Now, that doesn't mean I don't get it wrong, because I do. I, I, I fail a lot, um, but I try to make sure I recognize that and I take accountability for it and I make sure it doesn't happen again. Which is you highlight those qualities that you have that do separate you. How do you help the young women in your program possess those qualities? Well, first off, I got to make sure they believe in themselves, that they believe that they are worthy of it, that everything they need is inside of them. They don't really have to go search for it. It is already there. Uh, a lot of times young women may not see, or young women in general, just women in general may not see the greatness that's inside of them because they're used to seeing perfect things like on Instagram and on Twitter, everything is perfect, but um, people have to work to get to that. So I've got to make sure that they believe in themselves. They understand that they can have anything in this world as long as they're willing to work for it and they're relentless in their pursuits of it. Um, and then they got to do the work. You, you got to do the work that you, you can't skip that part. Uh, we have a saying in our locker room, she believed she could, so she did dot, 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 the work. And I want our young ladies to believe and then do the work. When did you believe that? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, I think whenever I was um, a junior, senior year in college, I knew for a fact I wanted to go into coaching. That's when it happened for me. And I, I went through a coaching change. And uh, the new coach, I, I was not her kid. There's no doubt about it. She did not like me. I probably talked too much. <laughs> probably should have shut up way more than I did. Um, but... I didn't like that feeling and I wanted to make sure if I ever got a chance to coach that young people would not have that feeling. Um, so that, and, and, and my, my, my family, they, um, they poured into me. They, they, they poured a lot into me, a lot of those opportunities they gave me as a kid. Um, so I, I feel a great responsibility to my family to um, do well. So it's almost like, uh, not that I have to, but I was born to. Born to be great. <laughs> um, you you talked about about being the only. That's what I call it, being the only. Because when I, when I went to school, I was the only black person in some of my my college classes. 
um, and that you, your, your mother and your family intentionally put you in situations to be prepared for that. Can you unpack that a little bit about, you know, how important is it to make sure that you are comfortable and, um, you know, kind of what, what other things did you do to make sure that, you know, you, when it, when you're the only, you just going to show up and show out. Okay. Before I get to that, I want, I want to just give a huge shout out to, to black colleges and that whole experience, because there are very few times in life when you can walk into a classroom and just be amongst black people. Oh, there is no feeling like that. I, I remember going on campus for the first time and seeing all the shades of beautiful black people, um, seeing boys and girls and men and women like that were just black <laughs> with goals and dreams and were smart. I will never forget my first um, math class that I was in and we took a test and the professor was like the person who had the great, the highest grade and it was a black guy. And that was the first time I had ever really seen a black guy stand up like, yeah, I'm smart and okay. And I was like, oh, I was taken aback by that. But there is nothing like that. Um, and for the, again, the majority of my athletic coaching career, I've never seen that before. So to have that for my four years, that was some of the best time and experience um, where I was able to love black. I, I got to see blackness in a different way. I got to see black excellence um, outside of like my small smirk, my small circle, excuse me. Um, but yeah, there, Nothing wrong with going to a PWI. I've only coached at PWIs. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something special about the Black college experience, for sure. Okay, I'm sorry, Ish. What was that question again? I, I just had to give a huge shout out to HBCUs. Aggie Fly, baby. <laughs> nice. So, so the question was um, about being the only. Yes. Being the, the only Black woman, the only Black person in the room. Um, kind of touching on a little bit more about how your your mom prepared you for that or kind of how you feel and, you know, knowing the importance of having to, sh having to show up and show out and not use it as a crutch. Yeah, so uh, the best thing you can do is, is be comfortable in that situation. And the only way to be comfortable is to go through experiences where you were uncomfortable. Um, and again, learning it as a kid, I don't think I was ever uncomfortable with it. It was just like, okay, this is how things can be sometimes. And so I grew up with that um so i've never really been uncomfortable with that again because what i was in dance class in first grade so what's that like six years old that was like my first experience so it, it's not abnormal to me but it is extremely important to be able to go in there and be in those rooms and be comfortable being in those rooms and understanding that you have a voice um, if you're in the room, you got a voice, <laughs> whether they want to hear it or not. Um, you have a responsibility to look after those that um, may not be in the room, make sure that their concerns, their voices are heard um, in that room. So, and, and you got to be on point. If you're going to say something, you got to make sure you can back it up. Uh, you have to be mindful of your body language, of your tone. Is it fair? No. Do others have to be concerned about that? Not at all. But I recognize the minute that I open my mouth, it's going to be looked at a certain way. So I've got to, I've got to make sure that what I'm saying, they get, they hear. Rika, why do you think young men and women of color, obviously us, 
struggle at times when we're amongst a group of people that that are not the same color as us, that are not black people. Why do you why do you think that we we feel as though we don't belong? I think we have been um, taught to do that, to struggle, to be uncomfortable in those situations because we feel like we're going to be judged. And the last thing somebody wants is to be judged harshly. <laughs> you know, the last thing you want is to say something wrong and then people think that you don't know what you're talking about or you're uneducated or you don't belong there. And all it takes, you feel like it's just one comment or um, one hairstyle where you just like, where you don't belong. And because there's, very rarely do you get a chance to walk into a room and see other people who look like you. It's just because we don't, we haven't had the opportunity to be in those rooms. We didn't grow up in those rooms, right? Um, as a GA, we may not have been in those rooms. Um, so it's, it's completely different than our experiences. And, and then we know the importance of being in the room. And so that adds pressure to it, I think. All righty, Coach, we're going to transition a little bit. Um, earlier, you talked about, um, you know, low moments or not getting it right. Um, can you kind of give us an example of a low moment or a time you had to go through adversity in your career and what you learned from that situation? So I just finished my fifth year at SEMO. And, you know, year four, I thought we had a talented group. Um, <laughs> but... So our, our kids, when we started conference play, we had gone all non-conference and had not got a flagrant foul or an intentional foul. And then conference play starts. And all of a sudden, like three out of the first four games were called for an intentional foul. And it was like, wait, what? Um, and then we proceed throughout the season. I actually got thrown out of a game because I looked. It wasn't even because of what I said. I... If, if you were to poll 10 black women right now, and if somebody stares at you each, if I'm staring at you like this, what you gonna do? You probably gonna put your head to the side like- Be like what? Like exactly. What? I didn't even say anything, but that's like, I literally did that and I got the second tech and got thrown out. <laughs> so we go to, we play in, I got thrown out that game. We, we play the very, the, the next game is the first round of the OVC tournament. Um, we're playing the same team that I just got thrown out against. Um, and the free throws, if I'm not mistaken, were 27 to two. And we're talking about, we lost, it, it, it's a ball game. Like we have the lead going into the fourth quarter. It is a ball game, but they shoot like 27 free throws to our two. And I had to take a step back um, and figure out how do I help my players? Cause that's, that's it. That, that, that's your goal as a coach is to help your players. That's it. It's not, it's never about me. I never want it to be about me. Um, so we took the mantra of we got to be better than where nobody can take it from us. We can't give them an opportunity to take anything from us that we feel like is ours. And that was, it's like us against the world type thing. And so I sat down way more my fifth year than I've sat down my first four years. But I recognize if I stand up, then that's going to bring a certain intensity to it. And so I just got to sit and I got to stay focused on my group. Now, if I feel like my kids, if I need to fight for my kids, I will always do that. However, I needed to try a different approach because what I had been doing wasn't working, but I had to learn that and I had to swallow my pride because <laughs> I guess I'm a, uh, I'm not really a fighter, but I guess in those situations, I want to fight for what I think is right. 
Um, so yeah, that, that was some adversity. Cause that hurt like that. I, when you feel like you are not being treated fairly and there's nothing you can do that sucks and it hurts. And I, I just want my kids to have a chance. And I call them my kids cause when they're with me, they're mine. I ain't a mom or their daddy. They ain't trying to be, but they, they are my kids. What brought upon that change? Did somebody point that out to you? Or did you just have self-reflection and, and, and found that on your own that, hey, when I'm standing up, the referees and the officials feel some type of way. And when I sit down, I'll probably be able to, to smooth out the, the situation of what's going on. Um, well, I, I've got a group of people in my life. I call them my board of directors um, who I can talk to extremely honest and they will be really honest with me even when it hurts my feelings and even like I've got a friend that he'll tell me stuff that's I need to hear but I'll get so mad with him I won't talk to him for a few weeks because he told me something I needed to hear but I didn't want to hear it <laughs> so we talk you know you have to evaluate yourself and you you gotta talk with your staff um talk with your kids and then talk with outside people um and it, it was a combination of things now, Coach, I had the opportunity to be to be at CMO. Uh, basically, your first four years um, basically started kind of around the same time you did uh, that summer when you took over the program. But so I had a great opportunity to see the the message that you preached and the work that you and your staff put in from year one to year four. And obviously, you know, you probably will say you had some up and down moments. But year five come, and obviously you probably reach one of the highest moments that you reached, obviously, as a head coach. But can you walk us through the transition of your mindset from year one all the way to year five? Yeah. Um, you know, year one, we were taking up a program that hadn't had success, and I wanted those seniors to be able to go out with some success. They had never gone to the conference tournament, so that meant they never played a game near the end of February that mattered. And I wanted them to know what it's like to set goals, to work really, really hard um, to achieve those goals, and then be able to walk away saying, yes, I achieved something. So we were laying the foundations of she believed she could, um, that that was really, really important. And we poured, poured, poured into those young ladies who tried to build them up, stay extremely positive with them. Um, and then as you transition into kids that fit your personality, your style of play a little bit more, um, you know, you're continuing to push them and pour into them. But the, I think the thing that I learned the most in between from year five in comparison to year one is that I needed to be more vulnerable with my players. I, am, I don't like that. That's not who I am. Uh, I like it cut and dry, but they needed a little bit more from me. And uh, I try to always ask our players, you know, what do you need from me? How can I help you? Um, and we found through conversations um, using an outside mediator, it's our, it was our team chaplain actually, um, who was able to help us, help me hear what they needed to say and help them feel comfortable enough to say those things. Um, so that, that's probably been the biggest thing that I've learned in my time. Um, but you got to continue to pour into these young ladies because they will believe all the negative stuff. And if something bad happens, then they, they will believe they're not worthy of something good happening. And so you got to continue to pour into them, stay positive with them, love them the way that they need it to be loved or they need to be loved, not necessarily the way that's easier for you as a coach to love. Coach, um, 
the the part that you talked about being vulnerable with your players and, and knowing that you needed to do that, um, you know, it we might have some listeners who are head coaches or aspiring head coaches. Can you can you dig a little bit more deeper into kind of what you had to change about yourself or kind of what you had to um, your mindset with that and how important it it is to to be vulnerable that you you can't you can't skip it. No, no, you can't. You can't, and you can't even fake it because kids. Well, they know when you're faking it. Like, you got to keep it 100 with them because if not, you're going to lose them. Um, But really, it was talking less, listening more, um, really being honest and meeting them where they were and not necessarily where you wish they were, where you think they should be. It's where are they? And understanding if they're not there, there are a couple of things that go into it. And you've got to be able to provide for them in all of those areas. Like you, as a coach, you, when you step on the floor, you want to be like, focused on basketball and that's it. Forget anything else that's going on in your world. But the reality is, if they are not healthy, and I don't mean physically, if they are not mentally healthy, if they are not um, emotionally in a healthy place, you're not going to get the best from them on the court. So like we would do Monday check-ins and they could, every Monday they would come up to the office And they wouldn't have their name on the front, but it'd be on the back. And they could be like, I'm doing great. I'm doing good. I'm like, eh, or I'm not okay, but I don't really want to talk about it. Or I'm not okay. And I do want to talk about it. So we were able to every week get a gauge, allow them to let us into their world. Now, I don't know how often they were extremely honest with it, but at least they had that opportunity. Um, We had one-on-one sessions. So it would be a student, one of my players, myself and our team chaplain, and we would sit down. And it was really like, has Coach P ever done or said anything to you that you didn't like or you didn't feel comfortable with? Um, Because I can't change it if they don't tell me. And a lot of times players don't really want to tell you the truth. I got a few players who have no problem telling me, Coach, I didn't really like you my first year, but I love you now. but being able to sit down and talk about those things. Cause I don't want to ever say or do something that's going to hurt one of my players. I don't want to do that. And if I'm doing it and they're not telling me then I'm probably going to keep doing it. Cause I don't know. So just having that space where, okay, you talk, I'm going to listen because I want to be my best for you and not the other way around. Um, yeah. And then I tried to really just, like love on them how they ask. So one example, like I think if they ask me for something and I try to get it to them, that's me showing them I love you. They didn't get that. Like I had one kid was like, coach, whenever you were recruiting me, we used to FaceTime all the time. Now we never do it. And I was like, that's because I see you, but that's okay. That's okay. You want me to FaceTime you. So once a week, I hit you up on FaceTime. It may not even be a three minute conversation, but it was what she wanted. And so it allowed her and us and me to have a better relationship, which is what we all want. Coach, touch on the dynamics of how the relationships from coach to player change when you move over in that one seat. Because obviously when you're an assistant coach and you're recruiting a lot and you're building that connection because you're talking to the kid a lot more than the head coach, and then you move over to that next seat, how, how did that change for you initially And then where is it at today from year one to year five? So initially I thought that you couldn't have the same relationship. I thought there was no way you can't have it because you're in charge of playing time and they're going to be 
you there has to be a line that you draw as an assistant coach oh I was that coach like they would come in my office they would tell me everything in the recruiting process I got to know them and their families and like I felt like I was part of the family when you really like build those relationships and, and during that recruiting time but as a head coach at first I was like nah we can't have that I want to get to know you I want to help you with your goals it was very much business-like but then I realized that's not we are in the we are in the business of people, but it's not really a business. You know, you're in the business of winning games, no doubt. Like you, you got to win to keep your job. But if we're going to be, if we're going to have the relationship like that, my mom still has with her former players, which is what I want. I want it to be a lifelong relationship. Then even as a head coach, I, I've got to have those relationships with my players now. And that's the, I think that was a huge change from year four to five. And in all honesty here, um, I didn't like how my senior nights were. I felt like my kids were unhappy with me. And I hated that because I loved them, but they, they weren't unhappy. They were unhappy, I should say. And so I, I really, really wanted a different experience as a head coach. Um, and so I had to be different. I had to work on that relationship. It's just like any relationship. If you're married, I'm divorced, right? But so I know if you don't really put in the time and effort to love somebody the way they need to be loved, it ain't gonna work. Same thing with your players. If you are not willing to put in the time and energy and effort and hear them when they say, I need this, or I don't like this and make those changes, it's not gonna work. So um, yeah, you, you, you gotta, if you want something out of it, right? If if you really are in it for them, then you got to be in it for them. Now you say we're in the business of winning, and you're right. And, and you're a fifth year. You won a lot, twenty five and seven, fourteen and four in conference, twelve and one at home. And the thing that I'm very interested in is the home court advantage that you had in year five, because one thing that I admired about you um, was your first year. I remember it like it was yesterday. You hosted a camp, individual kids camp, and you did a free admission. And y'all had over 300 kids. And I remember I was like, man, that's crazy. You know, at the time I was the director of operations and we're trying to figure out how to make money. And I'm like, man, they losing money because they, they're paying for these kids and they got to pay for lunch and all these things. But I remember, I think I talked to you about it and even people on your staff and y'all said we're not doing it for now we're doing it for later because these kids have parents so now their kids gonna love our players they're gonna love our staff now the parents are gonna bring the kids to the game and that's how we're gonna start creating an atmosphere so can you really talk about how you created that home court advantage from day one and then all the way up to year five and you you know only losing one game in conference at home that that obviously helped you guys propel into being the OBC champions. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when you are part of a community, you got to really be invested in that community. Um, you got to give back as often as you can. And we try to do community service activities. Each can tell you at least once a month, we, we want to be consistent with giving back to the community. And if somebody asks me to do something, I, I, I try really, really hard not to say no, um, because, I am part of that community. We're, we're in this thing together. And if we're going to build a championship program, you do it with people, right? Recruits come to games. They want to see people in the stands. They want to feel that college atmosphere. They want to feel like, oh, yeah, these people are here to cheer us on. 
Like in that fourth quarter when it's close, they're going to be up cheering. They're going to be booing the refs, you know. They're going to be screaming when they're in free throws for the other team. Um, you you want to create that, but you do that by being intentional and building those relationships. And I would do that free camp again. I, I was thinking about the fact that we didn't get to do one this summer, so we're going to need to have a free camp or something for um, – our campers so that they can still see our players, meet our players. Um, Cause our players are the superstars, right? Every little kid that went to a camp or watched college basketball, they said, Oh, I want to be like that person. Or, Oh, I want to wear my shoes like that. Or I want to wear my hair like that. And I want those young girls, especially to b- grow up believing that they can be that one day. Um, so yeah, you have to be intentional and in building relationships. Um, you have to work at it. Uh, we don't do it alone. You know, we have a marketing department. Um, it's actually really not a department because it's like two people. So that means they have a lot they have to do. Um, but we, we want to build relationships. We want to build a program. And it's not just with the players on the floor. It's the people in the stands as well. Coach P is serious about camp. Uh, I, <laughs> I have witnessed that myself when I worked camp when I was a GA. Um, but that's that's great, Coach. That's that's long-term thinking, CEO mindset, um, and I love that. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, so we kind of talked about we we talked about a little bit about um, your high moments and a successful moment, and you know, this year the amazing year that you had. But can you talk about like a moment or just a successful moment where you was like, wow, like this is really happening? Um, can you unpack that a little bit? I. I don't know if it's like going to be a game experience, um, but I was just telling my, I think it was my family this the other day. I absolutely love when freshmen come on campus. I love it. I love everything about it because you see young people super excited about starting this new experience, um, becoming independent, you know, that the beginning of this journey, you see parents who are like super nervous <laughs> and scared, but excited for their daughter. Um, I love it. In my office, I literally get to sit and see freshmen move in. They come right up. They, they park in the Show Me Center parking lot. They come right by my office, and I get to see that excitement. But then on the flip side, for graduation, I love it as well. There is nothing like seeing families get excited when their person hears their name and they walk across the stage. Like, I love every bit of those two things. Um, because that's what college is, right? You've got your freshman move in, you've got graduation, and, the, and then the growth in between. But just the pure joy that people have on those days, I love it. I get, I get reinvigorated on move-in day, and I feel a sense of accomplishment on graduation day. And I don't care how many graduations we have, I don't care how long they are, like I'm gonna be there, because I, I wanna see my players walk across that stage, because. In the recruiting process, I tell parents, I tell the players, I am not promising your daughter playing time, but I will promise her a degree. And so um, those are the highs. Those are the whys. Those are the moments that um, keep you going for sure. And then the other moments I think that are big is when a player gets it, whatever that it is. Like when they get it, it changes them. God, it changes their life. It changes their outlook. Their shoulders are back a little bit more. They stand a little bit taller. And they can finally see what you've been seeing in them that they haven't seen yet. But when they get that it, and it doesn't matter whether it happens early in their career or late, um, or even later, 
when they get it. Um, I love it. Th those are my highs. Those are, they, they give me life. Wow, that's big time. That's big time. And it's funny because I want to hear this part from you too personally, because I love that you said one of your high moments is when freshmen come on campus, right? So this time three years ago, you brought a top 100 freshman to CMO on campus. Talk to me about that. How did you feel? Because I mean, you, if you're high when freshmen, and this is not to take anything from any of your girls that you bring on campus, because all of them are quality student athletes, and I know you love everyone the same, but you brought one that was, you know, particularly in this individual lady that, you know, was deemed a special individual as far as her basketball talent. So what did that high moment go for you then when she stepped foot on campus in the summer? Well, all the credit goes to my recruiting coordinator, um, who's been with me from the beginning, Shantae Crutchfield, um, who we met when she was a GA at Baylor, Coach Mulkey's first two years, and then I was an ex-GA, um, which was a long time ago. Um, all the credit goes to her because she stayed consistent in the recruiting. Um, what's crazy is we, on early signing period, we actually did not have a scholarship available for Tisia Thompson. But I was like, keep recruiting her because you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, so yeah, all, all the credit really goes to Coach Crutchfield. She was the one who built the relationship. She stayed consistent with it. Um, you know, I popped in when I needed to. Um, but for, for us, for SEMO at that time, to be able to get a young lady like that, I think it says a great deal about TC's belief in us and our vision and our goals for this program and our and how we could help her become the player and the young woman that she wants to become. Um, and so that was exciting, you know, and, and that, I, I don't know what it's like to be a top 100 kid, but she came in with a whole lot of pressure. But if you know her, you're not really gonna see it because she'll tell you I'm from Memphis and like, we, we just don't, we don't do it like that. Um, but she came in as a freshman, led us in scoring, was a freshman of the year. Um, second year was all OVC, you know, I thought, in all honesty, if you look at her numbers, she really could have been the player of the year because she was pretty good all around, um, not just offensively, but defensively and with the rebounds. Um, and then she stepped it up even more her junior year and the performance she put on in that conference tournament. I mean, John Moran even took notice and, and tweeted about her. So I think that says a whole lot. But she's a great young, young lady. And even seeing her now in the summer going into her senior year, the growth from when she first got there to now she's ready to lead vocally and make sure everybody has their stuff together and we're focused. Um, that's a great thing. But again, a lot, all the credit goes to Coach Crutchfield. Because um, even when I messed up in the recruiting, uh, Coach Crutchfield like got us back. Because <laughs> I literally told Ticia and her mom, I was like, look, you know, we like you. We think you can play, but I can't promise you playing time. And everybody that was on the call didn't like that. Now, let's be real. Tees was going to play because she can play. But um, I had to keep it consistent. Um, and I think I actually think TC appreciate the fact that I was not just going to give her something. Yeah, and I was on staff when we were going through that. And the amount of faith, and, you know, I want people to understand that, you know, it took a long time for her to commit. We, we stayed on her. We, we just kept talking about TC coming, TC coming. And, if you don't have faith, you'll probably be like, what, that girl ain't coming here? Like, it's, it's past this point, it's past this point, she ain't caught. Like, 
but the amount of faith that Coach Crutch had, she she knew she was coming. And you know, you you couldn't do anything else but believe it. Like, well, she she must know something we don't know, so we just gotta keep. Yep, give a shout out to Coach Crutchfield and her faith, baby, because that that gets me through a whole lot. If Coach Crutchfield says it's happening, okay, we good. I'm good. <laughs> and then when she uh when she played her first game, we knew it was worth it then as well. So I transition to the next question, Coach. So what what makes it worth it? Why do you do what you do? The ups, the downs. Um, you know, the job changes, everything. Like, what what makes all of this worth it to you? I think um, my purpose in life is to impact and empower young women through the game of basketball. I think it is to help them recognize that they have a voice and that it deserves to be heard. Um, and even in times like today, I think I have a responsibility as a Black woman, the only Black head coach at SEMO, um, there's a reason why I'm there, but I do it for my staff. I do it for my players. Um, I do it for my family because they poured so much into me. And so again, like I said, I feel like I have a huge responsibility and that's not pressure, but I, I do have a responsibility to my family um, to do well. Um, and if anybody knows my family, like my mom literally comes out uh, for most of the conference play, and she she hangs out in Cape Girardeau. It's the sweetest thing this year. My mom came out December. My family came out December twenty fourth, and my mom stayed through uh, the Monday after we won the championship. And uh, my players actually started calling her Ma. <laughs> like that was so sweet. It it, it really was. Um, and there was one point where she thought she was going to go back home, and Ticia. And TP, two of my players, like, uh, nah, we winning, so you can't leave. <laughs> um, but I do it. I do. I do it for them. Again, like I said, my players. I, I feel like I have a responsibility to help them. And so, while I may only have four years of being in their life every single day, um, they need somebody who is going to believe in them. They need somebody who's going to be honest with them. They need somebody who's going to um, tell them. Even when they fall, you can do it. You, you got this. And I think that's, that's why. Um, yeah, I think, I think I have a small piece in their life and I, and I hope I do good and do right during that time. And winning doesn't hurt. That's, all, that's also fun. <laughs> Rika, how much does your mom play a part in your coaching development? Okay, so... Um, again, my, my dad, he's my, my stepdad is my dad. He, he raised me. Um, and he was actually the first one when he was a high school coach, they would play like on Tuesday and Friday. And so on Saturday morning, he would bring his VHS tapes home and I would do the stats for those. And he would pay me like $7, um, per game. And then we talked about the game too. And so that was probably my introduction into like film and coaching and that side of things um so he played a, a role in it too um you know my, my mom is my biggest cheerleader I think and again she's retired and for her to be like yeah I want to come to Cape um again I'm spoiled I, I am her only child but in the morning this is gonna sound crazy because I'm 41 years old and I would literally, my mother will literally get up and make breakfast for me because she knows that I need to eat breakfast so I have enough of energy 
for practice and for work and I stay focused and I'm mentally good. Um, she also bring me lunch. <laughs> and then when I go home, there's dinner. But that's how I grew up. Like my grandmother's house is five minutes away from us. We drive to my grandma's house and there's breakfast on the table every morning before school. And then we go to practice and then come home and there's dinner on the table. So that's what I grew up with. And she knows the struggles of being a coach, a head coach. Not going to lie. Year four, oh, we are in Nashville, and we are struggling. We got blown out by Belmont. We lost to Tennessee State. And I think I may have had, like, a little bit of a breakdown. And I called my mom, and I was like, uh, can you come to Kate? I text her. And she texted. and she said, I'll let you know when my flight lands. Like, I may not have a man in my life, but I got my mama forever. <laughs> and so – like, she gets it, and then she's like, I just want to help. And we don't even talk about basketball. Like, she wants to know how the girls are doing, but we don't talk about X's and O's or any of that. She just wants to be there so that I'm good, and I appreciate that. I'm grateful, really. <laughs> Coach, um, I want to highlight that you you was a graduate assistant um, at Baylor. That was your first, your first, you know, coaching job. How did that experience or – you know, just working for that, that caliber program excel you or prepare you for a career? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm probably – the way I was with you, Ish, is the reason – like, I did that because of my experience as a GA. Um, there's a reason why Coach Mulkey is as successful as she is. And um, she told me early on, she was like, you can make a mistake, but you can't make it twice. So – like, you better be on it every day. And I learned that then. Um, before, I, before I was a GA, I got to be an intern with the NCAA. They had an ethnic minority and women's internship program. And I actually had a lot of people in there look over my resume. Not that it had a whole lot on it, but I wanted to make sure it looked good. Well, I ended up getting that GA spot because I did not have any grammatical errors on my resume. Like, that's literally it. And it probably didn't hurt that my name was Rika Shante Patterson. I mean, I'm just saying. Like, I don't know how many white people's name were Rika Shante. <laughs> but that same attention to detail that I put into my resume, Coach Mulkey was expecting that in every single thing that I did. And so, um, yeah, I, I, you just got to be on. And you have to pay attention to detail and no job is too small. And uh, you have a responsibility, even as a GA, like she runs her program a certain way and that's for everybody in the program. What's something that you've taken from that program, from Baylor and from all the places and, and added in your program? Well, I've been really fortunate to be able to work at a lot of different places who have success. And I think what I've taken from all of them is that you can do it in different ways. There is no one way that you have to do um, for it to work, but you have to be your authentic self, <laughs> um, whatever you choose. It, it, it's got to be true to your heart. And, um, you know, as a coach, a, as a person, you grow. Like, I'm not the same at 41 as I was at 36, right? I'm not the same head coach that I was year one that I am year, year going into year six. Hopefully I'm better. Um, but yeah, I, I, I learned a lot from all of them. They all had success. Um, they did it their own way. Um, so I've taken, taken pretty much that's, that's the big thing that I've taken from all of them. Pick your lane, do your thing. It'd be really, really good. Try to be really, really good at what you're really, really good at. 
And then the stuff you're not good at, hire people around you that can fill those holes. What's Rika, what's Rika's Patterson Lane? I feel like I am, um, again, something that I've grown to be. Um, I think I work really, I think I work hard. Um, I think I am um, consistent with anyone who's in my program. Um, I think that I try to be good to the people. Yeah, I, I try to be good to the people. Um, but I've learned to communicate and be better in my communication, I should say. Because sometimes I can growl, right, Ish? <laughs> But it's out of love. It's out of love because when you leave me, you're going to have to get a job. And I don't know how your boss is going to be, but your boss doesn't have to give you multiple chances to get it right. So I want you to understand, baby, look, you got to be on. If you mess up twice, they can be like, okay, bye. Or they can stop giving you responsibilities and just you're there because you're black. And I want you there because you're black. I want you there because you just, now you may get in because you're black, but you ain't going to stay in because you're black. You're not going to move up because you're black you gotta you gotta do something you gotta be good at some stuff is that black <laughs> that's funny but you you're absolutely right coach and you know i'll say this right now like you know any success that anybody might see me have in the coaching career is because i was able to see it firsthand you got to be on and even what you said about um you can make a mistake but don't make the same mistake twice that still goes through my head <laughs> And, you know, sometimes I'll be like, oh, shoot, I made that mistake. I can't make it again. <laughs> but, you know, um, you know, having that baseline, having that, that fundamental thought uh, has even, you know, taken me a long way. And I'm able to see things that I wouldn't have been able to see if, you know, I, if I didn't work for you. Um, but, you know, she, Coach P talked about, you know, being better at her communication and um, qualities that she had. But I do want to say when I was on a bench with her and I, I've seen her pull out the clipboard and go through X's and O's, she is fantastic. Um, I, I do want to point that out because, um, you know, some, sometimes that's not what's talked about when it comes to black coaches. So I want to let you guys know she's, she's crazy with that board. And I want to ask, where do you get that part from? Where did you kind of learn the X's and O's and, um, you know, just your basketball mind? This might sound crazy, but you know, we all have different gifts and talents and um, it has always been fairly easy for me to watch stuff and be able to communicate that part or, or pick up on th those things that, that, I don't know why I have that gift. Um, I'm grateful that I do, um, but I, I think that's just a God-given gift. But then I practice, right? Like, and I study other people. Um, and I steal from other people. Like, if it works and we have the personnel for it to work for us, then please, yes, let's add, let's incorporate that to what we are doing. Um, but yeah, I try to, I try to study. And then I also ask um, some of my competitors, like if we play them a couple of years and they do something really well that we don't, I'll pick up the phone and be like, hey, um, how do y'all do that? Can you, can you help me figure that out? Because I don't have to know it all. I'm not trying to know it all, but um, if there's somebody that knows something or some, somebody is good at something and I want to be better at that, then yeah, I'm, I am, my ego isn't too big where I can't pick up the phone and ask for help. I'm glad you said that. 
<clears throat> that you you don't have to know it all. I think for for young coaches, we have a lot of pressure on us to think that we do have to know a lot to just get that that opportunity as a head coach. You know, from SNOs, from recruiting, from from trying to develop, from trying to handle your staff. So just kind of speak to our audience or speak to the guests or the people that are listening that what can they do to prepare themselves for that opportunity when it comes? Because they're not going to be able to be great at every single thing. So what what's one piece of advice that you can give them to kind of help them or, or help them be comfortable to know that, look, I don't know it on day one, but if I get the opportunity and surround myself with the board of directors, like you said, then ultimately I'll be able to get to where I'm trying to go. I think you take the same approach as you do with a player. Well, you're not going to ask like a post player to do every single post move. The reality is they need a go-to move and they need a counter. And if they get those two things, then they can start to add to their game, but they don't need to be adding all that other stuff until they get their go-to and then their counter. Same thing with coaches. What is your go-to? Okay. Well, what is that? And then what's your second thing, right? So if you happen to work on a staff and somebody's already really good at that, then again, what's the next thing that you can bring to the table? Um, and then don't be afraid as you are growing in your coaching career to ask your coworkers or ask your head coach, hey, do you have some time to sit down and talk about maybe these things? I'm um, like, before I became a head coach, there were a couple of things I had never done before. I'd never really dealt with budgets um, and I'd never done scheduling. Um, when I left Baylor and went to Ball State for the second time to work for the guy who hired me as a, a first-time assistant coach, he let me um, work with a budget. And that was such an eye-opening experience. It was the like one of the best things that could have happened because as a head coach, you're going to have to stay within budget. And if I didn't have that experience, then in the interview, I may have, they said, well, what about budgets? I'd be like, oh, well, I know how to stay within my budget at home. <laughs> but I don't think there's anything wrong with asking your boss, hey, can I get some experience with this? Or can you show me how you've gone, how you get to this point when it comes to these different areas? Um, and like scheduling, again, I'd never done it. And my first two, two years at SEMO, I still didn't do it. I just approved it, of course. Um, so I tried to, I did it the last two years. Um, now I'm not doing it anymore because I've done that and I don't want to do it again. But it, again, find your go-to find your counter, and then be willing to ask other people, whether it's your coaching friends or your current coworkers and your boss, hey, when, if you're not a recruiting coordinator, how do you plan our recruiting? How do you, how do, you do that? Show, can you show me how you do that? Um, and then learn from that. And practice at home. Like, shoot, if you're watching the end of game, I know, like, in, when I'm at home with my family, my, again, both of them being coaches, end of game situation, we talk about it. What you going to do? What you going to do? You, you, go, you filing? You're going for the three, what, what, you know, what, what do you, talk about those things, you know, um, and, and everything is hypothetical until you're in that seat, but you got to think about it. What's one common trait that you see young coaches struggle with when they enter the profession that you maybe have helped them with right now? Saying, I don't know how to, or I don't know. <laughs> like, I think you feel like you have to know. So instead of saying, well, I don't know. And again, young people, you guys, Y'all know how to Google in a way I don't know how to, right? Uh, and Ish, you taught me this, actually, because I had asked Ish some, and she was like, yeah, okay. Well, she didn't know how to do it, but she knew how to get to it. 
And for me, I was like, why don't you just say I don't know how to do it? We can work through it. But knowing it's okay to say, I don't know how to do it. I think I have an idea. Can I work on it and then get, you know, get back with you? That's okay. I, I'd rather hear that than, yeah, I know how to do it. You don't do it right. And then I look at you like you're crazy. Now I can't trust you. So it is okay if you don't know how to do something. It's okay if you say, I don't know how to do it. But don't leave it there. Like, don't say, I don't know how to do it and act like you don't care about it. Coach, I don't know how to do it, but I've got some thoughts. I got some people I can talk to about how to get it. Yeah, we struggle with that a lot. <laughs> that language. Do you know how to do it? Do you know how to do it? I know how to learn how to do it. <laughs> that's what we do. And you know what? And like, I had to learn, okay, well, that's just how you operate. At the end of the day, if you get it done, I got to be cool with it. But with my experience, I might be able to help you so you don't have to take the long route. I might be able to show you here, you know? And I, I took a lot of long routes. But I want people to understand um, how how much attention to detail and preparation that you you put into um, what you do. I remember one time you were talking about how you had to coach the post players for the first time. And to prepare for that, you actually brought somebody into in the gym that was not a basketball player and you worked on how to do individual to post player. Like, guys, think about that. Yeah, I was a first-time assistant coach. I was newly married. Um, my ex-husband was a football player in college. And um, uh, to prepare for the workouts, yeah, I, I brought him to the gym and put him through the workouts. Because <laughs> I'm like, if he can get it, then a basketball player can get it. And so I wanted to work through it. Uh, I would practice scouting reports, giving them, like at home in front of the mirror. Um, and even recording yourself. Because y'all know as a student athlete, if a coach get up there and don't know what they talk about, y'all going to clown them. Oh, y'all going to clown them. I would do it too. So you got to be prepared. You, you have to prepare. You have to prepare. You have to prepare. I'm all about that. Like I'm all about lists. And I get that from my mother. I do. Um, but I'm, I'm all about that. I'm all about the preparation. Do you ever have a moment where your, your players clowned you? Oh, yes. You yes. Tell us about that moment now. Oh, gosh. They can um they can mimic me in practice uh they can mimic me in games oh gosh early on let's say when I was communicating with the officials uh yeah they can do that then they talk about me they they do they, and now they'll do it in front of my face sometimes so I think that means we have a good relationship if they feel comfortable enough um to do that but yeah they do and I'm okay with it because I did the same thing like that's part of it that's part of it Coach, can you highlight that moment um, in your career where you you did something where you was like, and then you knew you had a, a future in this in this business? It could have been like when you was a GA, your first your first assistant coaching job, but it was something that you did where you just that just gave you the confidence and were like, man, I got a future in this. I can be good. <laughs> um, so I was at Baylor at the time, and we were uh, playing Stanford in the Final Four. And Stanford was playing their funky zone because they were trying to keep the ball out of Brittany Griner's hands. Um, and our perimeter players weren't necessarily uh, confident in their ability to hit open shots. <laughs> um, and I remember there were a couple of suggestions that I, I threw out to Coach Mulkey that she used that ended up working, um, especially on the offensive side of the floor. And I was like, ooh, I like that feeling. 
<laughs> you know, I like being able to see what they're doing and being able to counter it, right? I, I, I like that. And um, I felt like in that moment on that stage, that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, and again, that season, going 40-0, and there were probably two games where we really had to make some um, strategic adjustments because those young ladies were so focused and so competitive that they 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 were willing to do whatever to win it. But uh, yeah, in that in that uh, semifinal game in Denver, and uh, I remember we ran a play for um, we called her Big Shot T, um, and then we ran ran another play for Odyssey Sims, and that sort of gave us a little um, room with the score, and we were able to go on and win that game. Coach, you had, you've had, uh, I would say, two probably big-time achievements, one as a head coach and, and obviously one as an assistant. You know, like you said, going 40-0 and, and and winning the national championship, and then also as a head coach leading your own team to the NCAA tournament. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Which one was the best moment? Oh, <laughs> that's an unfair question, but um... – I think when you're the head coach and everything falls on you, you know, and, and you're the one sitting down telling that kid, you believe in them and this is what we can do here. And they believe in you enough to say, okay, I'm gonna pick your school over somewhere else. And then we're able to accomplish that. Yeah. I think it, again, I love the 40, you know, there's like, please don't, if I don't do that, I'm not sure if I get have this job at SEMO. Um, but for sure, th this one this past season was, was pretty special. It was a really good group who embodied um, one healthy heartbeat, which was our motto for the season. Um, they, they were a selfless group of young women who cared about winning. And they loved each other through the ugly part that nobody really got to see. Um, and then they were able to be rewarded on the back end. Take us to the locker room, though, when you realized that you guys weren't going to be able to fulfill the, the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. So we had a very mature group this past season. Um, that day we were planning on practicing, right? And we got the news, so we had everybody go to the locker room. And now that I think about it, it was such an abrupt end. Like, it just ended. That was it. It was over. Um, but that locker room, that was probably one of the most amazing experiences because we opened it up for them to talk. And that was something we did this year. Like, you guys talk about what's going on. How do you feel about this? What are you thinking? What do you want? Um, and they went around the room, and they were pretty much, like, thanking each other for what they did or thanking the team for having their back even when – they may not have thought they should or they deserved it. Um, they were thanking each other for showing, especially the underclassmen were thanking the seniors for showing them how to accept and embrace your role. You know, because that was the big thing with this team this year. They just, like, we know we had TC, we know we have Carrie Shepard, right? Those two didn't care who led us in scoring. They just wanted to win. And those are two talented guards. Um, we had a grad transfer who completely bought into playing defense, rebounding, um, and just being tough, right? And if she missed the shot, if she threw it over the rim, which she probably was going to do, she was probably going to go get that rebound and try to find Carrie Shepard. But the fact that she would do that on a consistent basis, it, it just 
showed everybody else. And they talked about it in that in the locker room. Like we appreciate that. Like I want to be like you. I want to I want to accept my role like that. Um, they thank the coaches and um, you know a lot of times assistant coaches do things that the head coach has no idea about. And it was so good for me to hear that. Like the text messages that they send to you to motivate you, the extra video sessions or the extra workouts that maybe the head coach has no idea about. Um, they were able to communicate that to everybody. Um, but there were tears, but there was also laughter. Um, there was also this sense of, okay, this happened to us, but this is not the end of our story. So it was, it was quite the locker room. Um, and again, they just, it just wrapped up what was a really amazing season to be a part of. It sounds like you, and I'm not, again, I, I think as a coach, um, we always talk about great teams are player-led versus coach-led, right? It sounds like you created a culture where you had a player-led team. How did that that start? Because obviously I know it, it embodies the type of women we bring in, but from your perspective, by you being intentional, how did that how did that start for you and your program? You know, well, it started when they first got here and they weren't leaders. <laughs> and maybe they didn't have great leadership in the locker room. And we had to talk about that. And we had to talk about what silence meant. Like if a teammate comes to you and they're complaining and you don't say anything back, that teammate thinks you agree with them. But the reality is, if you don't say something, then now y'all are in agreement <laughs> about something. So. Um, it, it, it definitely was a player-led team. And um, I think our captains, as well as our leaders, they all understood what needed to be done, when it needed to be done, and that they could be themselves and do it. Because sometimes you think, oh, well, I gotta be the mean one if I'm a captain. Well, you have to hold people accountable if you're the captain, but that doesn't mean you're mean. What is our goal? And then we talked about what could keep us from achieving our goal. But we, you know, we put our lead, our captains, I should say, we put them through training, right? We, we talked to them on a consistent basis. We use our team chaplain to come in and help them. Um, so he would meet with them a couple of times a month and I would meet with them a couple of times a month just so they were getting consistent counsel on things. We would do um, like um, role play right so they got to feel comfortable okay so what happens when a teammate does this or we ask has there been a situation where something happened and you didn't know how to respond okay let's work through it now to build their confidence and it's like well what do you want to happen at the end because it's not about what i want to happen it's what do you want i know what i want but what do you want and if those two are the same thing then we can figure out how to get there and um our captains wanted to win and they wanted to make sure that the locker room the bus, the practice when the coaches weren't out there, the weight room, the conditioning when the coaches weren't there, that it was done a certain way. And so because they built relationships with each of their teammates, because they stayed consistent with their work habits, uh, because they acknowledge when they made mistakes, I think it allowed everybody just to come on board. That's big time, coach. That is big time, having a, a player-led team like that and just 
the way you just described your your captains and your leaders of your team. Um, next question for you. What, what keeps you grounded throughout all of this? Um, being a head coach, having success, um, you know, just having that lifestyle. What, what keeps you grounded? Losses. <laughs> the idea, like after a loss, I, I don't know about other coaches, but um, after a loss, yeah, you're going to work really hard, but you're like, shoot, when are we going to win again? Um, I, I don't know if the fear of failure I mean, that's real, but I think that keeps me grounded. Um, understanding that if I make one mistake, that could be it. That could be my career. Um, but at the same time, uh, I do believe that what's for me is for me. Um, and you can't get too high, you can't get too low. <laughs> but the fear of messing up my kids. Yeah, that that I think that keeps me grounded. Yeah, I remember after one game, yeah, I remember you saying you treat wins and losses the same because when you win, you think you did better than what you did, and when you lose, you think you did worse than what you did. So um, I always remember you saying that. Yeah, and wins and wins keep you grounded <laughs> because um, yeah, it's nice to win, but shoot, you can win one game and you don't know when you're gonna win again. So. And I, but then I've also had to learn to enjoy the wins. Um, one of my players in her senior um, exit interview with me, I was like, what's something that, you know, you wish that I would do? And she says, well, I wish you would enjoy the good a little bit more. But I'm like, nah, I can't because I don't know when we'll get another one. <laughs> so what have you done to um, enjoy the wins um, while still staying, staying grounded and still, you know, having that mindset? Um, I take some time for myself. So we play on Thursdays and Saturdays. And so like on a Sunday morning, um, I'm probably gonna do the early morning service. And then after that, I've got a couple of hours where I'm not going to work. I am just going to be in that space where I'm not working. I'm not thinking about having to work. I'm just gonna give myself some time. Um, we do ice creams after wins. We've always done that, but uh, now I enjoy the ice cream because <laughs> you know sometimes you can eat to eat but you don't eat to enjoy so with the ice cream I want to enjoy it even if I don't eat the whole thing just like enjoy that moment of my players trying to figure out what they want to eat listen to their crazy conversations that they have and I'll be like what y'all what y'all talking about what does that even mean um, just be in that moment and that's probably it more be in the moment don't think about the future don't just be be here. No, that's big time, Coach. Absolutely. So I like how you just said now. You just you said, what are you talking about when you're trying to eavesdrop on your, your girl's conversation? So what's something uh that you feel like has, has passed you by? Oh Jesus. Okay, I never got the whole emoji thing. I think there's three emojis that I use. I remember some of my players trying to teach me how to have an emoji conversation. Um, I'm not good at that. Uh, I will also ask, cause you know, they abbreviate it, not abbreviate. They, what did, I can't think of it, but I was just laughing at my family cause they don't know, like they didn't know what DM meant, but there are things that my players talk about that I don't know what they talk about. And they'll be in my office having a conversation about these things and I'm lost. 
And I'm like, guys, what, what are y'all talking about? Can you help me? And they were like, oh, coach, you know, you're not that old. And they never, they always think that I'm not my age, which I appreciate, but I feel really old sitting there listening to their conversations. And then like when there's Twitter beef and I don't know who the Twitter beef is with or whatever, I'll, I'll DM them, hey, who is so-and-so? <laughs> or what is this about? <laughs> because I never know, like I might need to have that conversation with the recruit. So like, I don't even know the people. Like I don't even know who they, I don't know rappers. I don't know these new singers. I don't know these rapper singer people that's new. I don't know none of them, but I have to ask. So yeah, and oh, I feel so old. The music, like we'll listen to music pregame, like before practice, I should say. And I'll let them pick the music. I'm like, pick it out because this is about you. But then I'm listening, like what are they talking about? What does that even mean? Nah, coach, we really appreciate it, but as we wrap it up, um, obviously, you know, our, our podcast is called Black Excellence. And for us, you know, when we started this, um, we, we wanted to highlight those that we felt have done exceptionally well within our profession um, that, can, that can obviously help us. And then obviously help many people that are gonna be listening to this, you know, along their journey and their path within the profession. So if you look at our logo, um, we have a crown on it. And, and what we, the reason why we do that, that signifies royalty to us and to this generation. And so you have the crown, all right? You have the crown. And, and so at some point we know you're gonna have to take that crown off and pass it on to the next generation. And so when you do it, because there's a young girl out there that, that wants to be the next Rika Patterson, that, that loves your personality, that probably embodies everything you do. What's one message that you're gonna wanna engrave inside that crown to leave for her as she, as she continues to go on her path? Number one, you deserve it. And don't let anybody tell you different. You can be who you are and that is more than good enough. And make sure you bring some sisters and brothers with you. I love that. I love that coach. Period. Yes, as the kids say, period, poo. <laughs> I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to Rising Coaches for partnering with us and giving us this platform um, to share these amazing stories. Real quick, guys, if you are not a member of Rising Coaches and you are in the basketball profession, you want to coach, you're a seasoned coach, you're a beginner coach, it does not matter. I want to encourage you to check out Rising Coaches. Um, join Rising Coaches and become a member of the largest coaching tree in basketball. Over 1,300 members from all levels, high school to NBA, gain access to over 1,000 hours of coaching clinics um, and build genuine relationships with other coaches. Rising Coaches provides the community and the resources that will help you have long-term success in the coaching industry. Please visit Rising Coaches to join or if you got any questions, hit me up.